Welcome back to Ask God 365, where we ask life's difficult questions. Today, we have the question of what is the modern self? What is the modern self? Let's dive in and start with a series of questions that were penned by the Christian author Carl Truman, PhD, from his book Strange New World. Am I to be understood primarily in terms of my obligations toward and dependence upon others? Does education consist in training me in the demands and expectations of the wider culture and forming me, shaping me into that which will serve the community at large? Is growing up a process by which I learn to control my feelings? to act my restraint and sacrifice my desires to those of the community around me? And the last three, am I to understand myself as born free and able to create my own identity? Does education consist in enabling me to express outwardly that which I feel inwardly? Is growing up a process not of learning restraint, but rather of capitalizing on opportunities to perform. I would dare say that in the current culture that we live in, the last three questions are relevant, and that is born free and able to create my own identity, and our educational system enables one to express outwardly that which one feels inwardly, and lastly, Growing up being a process of, sadly, of not learning of restraint, but rather capitalizing on the opportunities to perform. Let's dig in and look into this topic of the modern self. The modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings and sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to the same. The modern self also assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. Such a self is defined by what we call expressive individualism. Sadly, this is running rampant in our modern culture. Expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher, states that expressive individualism can also be seen as the culture of authenticity. And this is what we're seeing today in our modern world, where each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity and that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed upon us from the outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. In short, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's feelings. Many of us are indeed particularly disturbed by the radical changes in society's sexual norms over recent decades, 
and even more so, by the rise of the transgender movement. It is the belief of Dr. Truman that these elements of what we call sexual revolution are symptoms of a wider turn to expressive individualism in the Western world. The priority that the LGBTQ plus movement places on sexual desire and inner feelings relative to personal identity as part of this broader accent on the inner psychological life of Western people that shapes us all. It is the contention of Truman that expressive individualism provides the broad backdrop to these aspects of what is commonly called the sexual revolution. Truman continues that it would be a mistake to see the sexual revolution merely in terms of a loosening of moral boundaries to include more forms of sexual expression. What marks the modern sexual revolution as distinctive is the way it has normalized sexual phenomenon such as homosexuality and promiscuity and even come to celebrate them. It is not therefore the fact that modern people engage in gay sex or look at sexually explicit material while earlier generations did not. That constitutes the sexual revolution. It is that gay sex and the use of pornography no longer involve the shame and the social stigma they once did. They have even come to be regarded as a normal part of the mainstream culture. If the individual's identity is defined by sexual desire, then he or she must be allowed to act out on that desire in order to be an authentic person, authentic to themselves. The sexual revolution has brought us to the point where sexual acts in themselves are seen as having no intrinsic moral significance. It is the consent, or not, of those engaging them that provides the moral framework. The dramatic changes and flux we witness and we experience in society today are related to the rise in cultural normativity of the expressive individual self, particularly as expressed through the idioms of the sexual revolution. The reasons for this are so deeply embedded in all aspects of our culture, and this means that we are all, to some extent, complicit in what we see happening around us. We all share the same social imaginary through the pill, that made it cheap and easy to separate sex from procreation, the rise of no-fault divorce, which reduced marriage to a sentimental bond, and the rhetoric of feminism, which asserted women's control over their own bodies and sexuality, and the internet, which massively expanded the accessibility of pornography. Soap operas, sitcoms, and even commercials present sex as a cost-free pastime. Sadly, the picture is clear. A complex set of factors from philosophy to technology to pop culture shape the way we intuitively think about sex. They shape the way we think about the world in general and our place within it. Older Christians can no longer assume that biblical ethics make sense to younger Christians because the social imaginary in which they operate is so different 
to the one many of us grew up in. That means we need to work harder at explaining not simply the content, but also the rationale of Christian morality. It is therefore helpful not simply to point to what the Bible teaches in a few texts, but also to show that those texts make sense within the larger picture. This larger picture has both a broad biblical side where sex is a function of what the Bible teaches about human personhood and the natural law side where the sexual and complementarity of men and female bodies is relevant, as is the evidence of damage done to the physical body by certain sexual practices. It is not that nature here offers a decisive argument. It assists us in showing that God's commands make sense, and given the world the way the world is. The church needs to respond to this present age by avoiding the temptations of despair and optimism. Christian hope is realistic. It understands that the world is a veil of tears, that things here are not as they should be, and all life does end. This world is not the Christian's home. And so we should not expect to provide us with home comforts. The calling of all Christians is to live faithfully in the time and place that we have been set in. When things in this world go awry, or when we are faced with changes that bring suffering to us or society at large, we must not be in despair. Suffering here and now may at times be terrible, even unbearable, but is never meaningless. It finds meaning in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world in which we live seems to be set to be entering a new, chaotic, uncharted, and dark era. But we should not despair. Jesus is in control. God Almighty is sitting on his throne. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to be informed. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to worship God in a manner that forms us as true disciples and pilgrims, both intellectually and intuitively, and keep before our eyes the unbreakable promises that the Lord has made and confirmed in Jesus Christ and his word. This is not a time for hopeless despair, nor naive optimism. Let us sharpen our identity as the people of God and hunger for the great consummation that awaits at the marriage feast of the Lamb. May the Lord richly bless you, and we will see you again in one week. Ask God 365 where we answer life's difficult questions.